Hey guys, welcome to Product Explain, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, did you have any idea how much drama there was in the eye care business before this episode? No, I didn't see it coming. Ah, I see what you did there. Today's episode, we're talking about Warby Parker, an online retailer of prescription glasses. Yeah, Warby Parker is a direct-to-consumer eyewear manufacturer. I think that's the biggest differentiator is the direct-to-consumer part for for Warby Mm -hmm. Parker, but... At the end of the day, what Warby Parker is doing is they're making uh, stylish eyewear at a, an affordable price. Most of their glasses start at $95 per pair, and that includes the prescription. Uh, so they don't charge any extra costs for if you want to get just fancy, thick frames to be hipster uh, mm-hmm. that don't have any prescription, all the way to if those fancy hipster glasses do have a prescription. I love Warby Parker. I have about five to eight pairs. They're really fantastic. They're durable. I love their design and the boldness that they have. And they're actually pretty sturdy. It took seven years for the first pair that I ever bought to, to break. And I actually broke oh, wow. it like three or four months ago. And I posted it on Instagram. And Warby Parker actually reached out to me and said, oh, my gosh, like, let me give you a coupon. So kudos to oh, the Warby cool. Parker team for like the end-to-end customer experience. It was extremely delightful. One of my favorite features of Warby Parker is how they help you try frames on at home. They have two different options to do this. They can literally send you five different frames to your house for free. And when I purchased my uh, first frames from Warby Parker, this is what I did is I got a pack of like five frames that I thought I might like, and then I was able to try them on and then send them all back. And they sent me a prescription uh, glasses after I uploaded my information. They also have an a, they also have the ability for you to try them on virtually. So you upload a picture of your face that's uh, straight on and they'll upload and they'll use their software to put glasses as if you were wearing them. It's really interesting. They, they also have some safeguards around their prescriptions. So I know that it's, it, this is a bit of a blessing and a curse. I know it's pretty much every two years that I go to buy new glasses. For some reason, that's just the cadence of me needing new glasses. And Warby Parker needs you to create a subscription or upload a prescription rather from the past year. They want to make sure that you maintain good eye health and you're not wearing glasses that don't meet your current prescription. So that is one of the safeguards that Warby Parker has. And the last thing about Warby Parker of note is that they're one of the business models where it's uh, buy X, get Y, and every pair of glasses that is purchased by a Warby Parker customer, Warby Parker actually looks to donate a pair of glasses or distribute a pair oh, of glasses cool. through through someone else. So if we talk about the business model of Warby Parker, I think this is probably the simplest business model that you and I have ever talked about on the show. It's, it's not a marketplace. It's not a marketplace. It's just the age old business problem. You sell a physical good for a price and make sure that all of your costs associated with that are less than what the customer is paying for it. Warby Parker doesn't accept insurance. We'll get into this later on, and this is very strategic for Warby Parker to not accept insurance, but they charge that base $95 for for their just regular glasses. But it is kind of brilliant. I mean, $95 like seems pretty cheap for glasses because if you go to the, the eyeglass store, like a lens crafter or Pearl Care, whatever they're all called, it's like $400, $500 for a pair of like, you know, nice designer glasses. So $95 feels kind of cheap and mm-hmm. it's got to be stupid high margins. Like I don't, yeah. I'm not in the eyeglass manufacturing business by any means, but I think I can, I have enough like manufacturing experience to know that it's just plastic and yep. it can't be that much money, maybe at most a couple dollars per glass. 
And without knowing like all the other fixed costs, you know, from like the marketing design, engineering, and like they're, they have a few physical stores as well. I can't imagine that it's super high. Like the margin on this has to be insane. Like I, I would love yeah. to see like what that is. And so I know they actually started charging even more for some of their glasses, like some of their pairs for like their higher tier, like designs are costing, I think twice that closer to $200 and the margins on that have to be even crazy like even higher so i would love to see what the warby parker's pnl uh, looks like especially like per pair yeah i think that's super interesting we're both eyeglass wearers i tend to buy like really really cheap eyeglasses because i wear contacts most of the time and we'll talk about some of the other competitors in a bit but i think it's really interesting that they don't accept insurance i'm really interested to get into that portion of their business model and why they chose to do that let's talk about the history of the product this is pretty short so it's founded in 2010 by Neil Blumenthal, Andrew Hunt, David Gilboa, and Jeffrey Rader. The name Warby Parker actually derives from two characters that appear in a journal by this author, Jack Kerouac. And the company originally started in a venture program at Wharton, which is a business school, a very well-known business school out of UPenn, where all the founders studied. They originally received $2,500 in seed money through that program, which is not a lot of money at all uh, to be able to start any no. any sort of business. Um, and of course, this is like one that was tied to a university. So that's probably why there wasn't that much money linked to it. But they were covered by Vogue shortly after launching, which I'm sure did wonders for their marketing campaign, especially as an early, early company. Um, in 2010, they shipped more than 100,000 glasses and had 60 employees, which is super impressive considering that just one year before they were in business school coming up with this idea and they just had you know $2,500 in seed money and turn around one year later and they're producing all these glasses. That's crazy. I mean, I, I know like you had your Kickstarter and there's like, yeah, I know. T- talk a little bit about that. Like how many units are you guys shipping and how many people are you and how crazy was that? And can you imagine doing a hundred thousand of those? No, yeah, no way. So there's three of us and I think we kickstarted about like 20 grand worth of product. We basically sold 600 units. We ordered like two grand in units. And that took us like a couple of years. So to turn around 100,000 glasses <laughs> with higher markup, it just seems like incredible to me. I mean, albeit like part of that, I think the creative process cycle is maybe a little bit faster where there's obviously eyeglass manufacturers that already know what they're doing. And there's a lot less variability in glasses. Like, yes, you can change the frames, but like prescriptions are prescriptions. And there's probably a couple of people that know how to cut lenses to the spec. Um, so yeah, like, I think part of that was already primed for disruption and uh, smart of them to kind of take advantage of that and turn around 100,000 glasses in one year. By April of 2015, the company was valued at $1.2 billion. So that is insane. Five years to build $1.2 billion in valuation is pretty nutso. Especially um, for a hardware company. It's like, it's yeah. like a, a standard, very simple product that like you buy this from us. <laughs> like, right. it, like there's no subscription. It's not like convoluted. Like today's like we have a, a billion users. It's just no, like we, we sell things. <laughs> yeah. I think it's harder with hardware because hardware is, again, easier for people to know how to copy. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I can like take this apart. I can look at this thing. Code isn't that way, right? Like, you, you know, you have to be able to unearth the source code or figure out what's going on behind the scenes. It's hard enough to raise a billion dollar in valuation for a tech company. I'm really shocked that a hardware company, a physical good company was able to do this in five years. By 2020, they were valued at $3 billion and had raised a total of $550 million from a couple big players, American Express, Mickey Drexler, 
Durable Capital Partners and D1 Capital Partners. Just a and quick so, yeah. shout out to Mickey Drexler. He's my, he's from, he, his alma mater is University at Buffalo. He was also the CEO of J. Crew. I love like his story. I've never met him. If he's listening, um, I'd love to meet you at some point, but uh, <laughs> huge fanboy. I think it's it's really cool that he, I had no idea that he was a investor into Warby Parker. That's, that's really neat. Yeah. So we can talk about who Warby Parker is for. So Warby Parker is for really anyone that needs stylish glasses for a fair price. I know when I initially was going into the eye market for buying Warby Parker, I had my current glasses and I, w- I just wanted something a little bit more bold, a little bit more stylish. Like I was at the time in my life, like t- 2013, where I wore really thin framed glasses and I just like wanted it basically to disappear in my head because I was kind of embarrassed. And then Warby Parker is when I actually wanted to embrace wearing glasses and have that actually be like, hey, like this is something I want to wear and like kind of show off that like um, I'm willing to take that line. So it it definitely felt more of like a a fashion play, I guess, like Mm -hmm. or or just like, you know, doing it for the gram, maybe. I I have no idea. (laughs) But it's a pretty big market in the US, like $131 billion is spent on eyewear every single year in the States. And then about 75% of the US adults wear some form of vision correction, be it contacts, like Jeff mentioned, glasses, and even eye surgeries. It's definitely top of mind for the majority of the US of yeah. like, you know, what, what you're going to be wearing. But I think it's really interesting here. Is we, we can get into the soup, the soup and nuts for like how like the eye, how that $131 billion is, is spent currently in the US. So this is the drama that I was talking about. It turns out that the majority of that $131 billion is actually uh really just owned by one company called Luxottica. And there's actually this whole 60 minutes that dives into Luxottica and and what it is. But Luxottica is essentially a vertically integrated company, vertically integrated, meaning that it owns the entire customer journey across the business and the entire Mm -hmm. backend to support that customer journey. So let's like break this down. So one of the brands that Luxottica has is LensCrafters. They have all those physical retail uh, locations with doctors. So you go to LensCrafter, Mm -hmm. you go to the doctor, the eye doctor, and... They give you the prescription. You take that prescription and then you go to Sunglass Hut, which is also owned by Luxottica. You buy some <laughs> some sunglasses. Um, they're selling glasses at both LensCrafter and Sunglass Hut with very popular brands, like brands that we all know and love, like Ray-Bans, which started in Rochester, by the way, Coach, Chanel, Ralph Lauren, Polo, all these massive brands also owned by Luxottica. So they're kind of getting into this double dipping territory of like, yeah. hey, I just paid the doctor to see me and get my eyes and then I'm paying Sunglasses Hut um, for these do- glasses that are actually owned by you. The company Luxottica even owns its own eye insurance company. So they're actually being paid by your employer if you have health insurance or sorry, have vision insurance to support this vision insurance. So it's all one vertically integrated company, Luxottica. So this is where like incentives come into play and kind of the drama plays out where if I'm a lens crafter optician that wants to sell glasses, I have to imagine that it's going to be financially in my interest to not assort any other <laughs> brands if I know that yeah. my brands are going to perform the best because I'm making like stacked margin on top of all this. Like Luxottica, right. the company is taking like a, a cutoff of this at any point in time. So mm-hmm. um I think it ultimately comes to this is a monopoly and it comes to a really bad customer experience where if I want to buy Ray-Bans, it's going to cost me $250 even after insurance, which is a crazy price that I have a couple of pairs of Ray-Bans that I've paid for. They're really nice, high quality sunglasses, but it's outrageous. If you look at the insurance that you're paying, that your company's paying on top of what you already paid, it's like $450 out of pocket. And, the, and it's all for like 
very small pieces of metal and plastic that I can't imagine costs anywhere near that to, to do. So this is all plays into Warby Parker is not accepting insurance to cut out the middleman to just reduce confusion and simplify the business model of getting glasses. So I think it was very strategic on Warby Parker's part to just avoid everything and just go direct to consumer. And I think we've seen that from other companies as well, like Dollar Shave Direct and, and Harry's and, and companies like that or that are just yeah. trying to break into to, to direct to consumer. But yeah, I just, it blew my mind when I saw this 60 Minutes episode on Luxottica. It was just, oh my God, I was like almost angry at it as a consumer. I'm like, I can't believe that they own everything. And like, what does all this mean for, for me, the customer? So I love that we now have an option like Warby Parker to just um, buy something that's that's really high quality. Yeah, let's jump into competitors here. Obviously, a big competitor is Luxottica, right? Like they are probably <laughs> the the Goliath in this scenario, whereas Warby Parker is maybe the David. There's not too many other players in this space. And I think that's a testament to the monopoly that you mentioned, right? Luxottica has so much market share in, in eyeglass wear and prescription wear that it's really hard to break in. I think the only other direct competitor that I can think about is Zenny Optical. Zenny Optical is very similar to Warby Parker, except for they... Um, are on the cheaper end of the spectrum. In fact, a lot of the glasses that I own or as any optical glasses are like $10, $25 pair, but they're not as high quality as Warby Parker. Like right. Warby Parker is more of the premium, the luxury type thing, but still direct to consumer. I think that most of Zenny Optical's glasses are like produced overseas. So that's like where a lot of costs are cut and it's like cheap plastic and the frames are plastic. So it's just a lot cheaper. I totally. wear them like around the house primarily. And so I haven't like spent too much money on like getting a super nice pair. But that's because again, I'm like a primary contact wearer. Like I don't wear glasses that much. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, even if like, you know, Zenny optical glasses are selling for $10 a pair, like that just shows you like, because they're, they're still making money and running a business at $10 a pair. So like, what is Warby Parker doing at $95 a pair? It's just a huge, like huge. I just maybe I'm overstating this, but it has to be crazy high margins. And then yeah. for Luxottica, that's just like Scrooge McDuck money, you know, right. <laughs> like yeah. you're just rolling in like eyeglass money of like, you know, we've taken margin. It's like Bernie Sanders, like oh, on top of margin, on top of margin. And it's just like, <laughs> it's craziness with Luxottica. Yeah, for sure. While these aren't competitors, I think of other companies that are doing this sort of like direct to consumer breaking into brands kind of work. One company that comes to mind is Allbirds, which we haven't covered yet in our show, but we would love to cover at some point. You know, Allbirds kind of broke into the shoe wearing space and they have a very similar policy where you can try on the Allbirds. If you like them, great. If you don't like them, you can return them. Other brands like Purple Mattress, and I think a lot of mattress companies are doing this today, but like 100 Nights Sleep, and if you don't like it, you can return it. So a lot of companies are moving towards like very, I guess, like flexible, try it. And if you like it, keep it. If you don't return it kind of policies versus like the old school way was like buy it. And if you don't like it, tough luck. You already paid us some money. (laughs) That's right. Um, And I think what's happening is that a lot of these folks that are getting these awesome customer experiences, like you mentioned, they reached out to give you a coupon. You now become a net promoter, right? You're telling other people about the brand. You're telling people, hey, like if you're going to buy glasses, it's worth the money because you feel like you have coverage from Warby Parker should something go wrong and you feel like that brand has your back. I think Away, which is in the luggage space, like also is like kind of mm-hmm. similar to this. But a lot of these newer brands are starting to focus on the customer experience specifically, providing high value products, but also providing an experience that's conducive to the customers and makes them feel like they can trust you as a company or even like that there's zero risk in trying you out. And I think that's really important when you're breaking into a space I also think that 
millennials and Gen Z, they have like less brand. Well, less like brand loyalty. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's not like back in the day of like, if it's not Sony, I'm not buying that TV. Yeah, or if exactly. If it's not Black and Decker, it's, like this if tool can't work. it's not Panasonic, work. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Or like, what? yeah, but totally. I think today people think about, hey, like, what does this company stand for? Is it a quality product? What is the price like? Like, think about all these other things and brand isn't the only thing that they think about anymore. Obviously, brand loyalty is still a thing amongst millennials and Gen Z. I mean, you think about Apple, uh, but Apple also does provide a very high quality product. People talk about that you get like premium service. And that's uh, almost when, part of the brand at this it. point. Yeah, t- yeah, exactly. And maybe one of the reasons why previous generations had trusted these brands is because they just knew from previous experience, word of mouth, that it was going to be a good product to use. Whereas today, like now we have like reviews, like we have five star reviews or four star mm-hmm. reviews and you can you can see and it's it's much more transparent. So you, yeah. have, you need to have less of that brand value, but you, you still need to have that end to end customer experience that, to know that like, hey, they got you back because customers can always turn on you. And even if you have a really good product, like you might have really terrible service and that could be like a PR nightmare for you. Yeah, it's funny because I think about like Sears, for example, as a company, like back in the day, it was like Sears was like the company to work for, for a lot of folks. And like, look where it's gotten them. And it's just because brand loyalty only gets you so far. Like at the end of the day, you have to have great product and offer a really great experience. Let's jump into our thoughts. I can start first because I think I have less to talk about than you as someone who's actually purchased Warby Parker. I really like the idea of direct to consumer and this idea of like people breaking into new markets. I think there's a lot of people in the space that have started to pop up. I really like the idea of like companies starting uh, and growing really massively by offering a more competitive product, one that's really high quality and making sure that they put the customer first. I think because of all those things, like that puts Warby Parker in, uh, I think like pretty rare error for me. It's hard for me to kind of like comment on the pricing. Like, yes, it's probably a lot cheaper than prescription but that's because prescriptions like really marked up or like not prescription but like you know insurance covered glasses Mm -hmm. but it sounds like the customer experience is fantastic and they do provide like a really good way for you to earn trust with that company for me i still buy cheapy glasses but i am interested in trying out warby parkers i think like they do have a lot more fashion forward styles and zenny optical and some of the competitors so i would be interested in giving it a try i think if i were to give it a rating i would give it like a 4.2 Nice. Well, I'm going to definitely be much higher than your 4.2, Jeff. I'm going to call Warby Parker 4.8. It might be oh, the wow. highest product that we've uh, rated here. I just, I, I definitely love the, the, the product. I think that from a style perspective, it's almost like twofold where we're always talking about build marketing into the product where yeah. the Warby Parker silhouette is just very, uh, they're like big, thick framed glasses where you almost know it's a Warby Parker glass just by seeing mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of like marketing on everyone's face that's wearing yeah. it. It's like, oh, like that's like a, it's a really nice repair glasses. Is that Warby Parker? And, and yeah, and and because the customer experience is so good, like from, you know, even when trying it out, it's like, it's it's it just feels easy. You know, it's like, hey, like here's five pairs. Like just here's everything you need. We'll send it to you for free. And then you can virtually try them on in your face. If you upload a picture and then also, they have some in-store locations and every time I've gone in there, be it the Seattle locations or the Boston locations or New York City locations, it's always been super friendly. Even if they're super busy, yeah. they're like the, the staff there is super knowledgeable. So I think they really nailed that. I think because they're direct to consumer and they're selling a one-time product, like I could I could have just bought one pair of glasses and never and they could have taken their, you know, 80% margin and I'm making that up <laughs> and just walked away. But I think they really understand the importance of lifetime value that me yeah. as a happy customer, I'm going to keep coming back to them and I'm going to keep buying glasses because 
Uh, I not only really like their style, their price point, but also their customer service. Like I, I feel like I'm a part of the I feel like I matter as a customer. Yeah. I'm just not like someone that bought this this once. So I definitely think that Warby Parker is doing a great job. It's interesting. I was looking at their website before this episode. They're starting to get into into contacts and some some other eyewear and starting to expand. So I'm curious to see how that plays out in a in a from a strategy perspective. If if they're able to go around the middleman like and and just go direct to consumers. And basically blow up all of Luxottica's <laughs> monopoly. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to watch. But yeah, 4.8 out of 5 for me. Really, really love Warby Parker. Well, those are our thoughts on Warby Parker. And we'd love to hear from you, our audience. So reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a shout out. Let us know what you thought about this episode, our past episodes. Um, you can find us at ProdX Podcast. That's P-R-O-D-E-X Podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode. Very punny. 